Welcome to the Empathy Exchange Podcast, the show dedicated to helping seniors care staff and residents' families build relational connections based on trust, respect, and understanding as partners in care. To work together in the shared goal of providing the best possible quality of life and care for people living in seniors care, your residents and loved ones. So if you work in seniors care or you're a family member, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Deborah Bakti. Welcome to episode two of the Empathy Exchange. I'm going to start today's episode with a story. I had the pleasure of meeting a family member named Mary, and she was married to Bill, and she was needing to move Bill into long-term care. I met her when I was on site at a client location. They had brought me in to help them to redesign their admission process. And the exercise that I was doing with a group of about six or eight families is what I call emotion mapping. It's a really fancy term to describe basically asking people how they feel at different points of their admission process. So I actually do this with staff as well as families, but the story I want to share with you is with the family group. So we had about, as I say, about six or eight families all sitting around the table together and asked them to reflect on how they felt the morning that they were moving their loved one into the home. And then there was some paperwork that I had them to basically write out some of their comments and then brought them all together and asked for those who were comfortable to share. Mary described the morning of moving Bill into care, that she was feeling incredibly overwhelmed and anxious because she didn't tell Bill where they were going. In fact, she used the words, I had to fib to him and tell him that we were going to a doctor's appointment because she felt like if she was honest with him, she would never get him out of the house. Let me read to you what she had written down on the piece of paper. It was a bad first day. There was entertainment going on in the lobby when we arrived. My husband was confused why he was there and knew something wasn't right. I felt alone. The person who was to meet us wasn't there. We waited for some time and after two calls, someone came and took us up to my husband's room. We sat in the room and waited for someone to come. It seemed like a long time. I felt horrible and left crying when we were done. It's taken me a long time to forget that day. Well, clearly she hasn't quite forgotten it. And as she was telling the story, it felt to me like this was probably the first time that she was sharing with a group of people who were, in essence, witnessing her and supporting her. And she felt terrible about having to lie to her husband and just all of that overwhelm and feeling that she was alone. And that was Mary's admission anxiety, what she was feeling. So here's a couple of other comments that were shared in that emotion mapping session. Somebody said, I was allowed to be a daughter again and not the caregiver. And I really like that. Another said, I felt relief that I could get a good night's sleep again. Another said, sad, our life was going down a different path now. 
And I knew she was going to be looked after, but I worried about her sadness. So as you can see, there's all sorts of different expressions of how people are feeling. And it's really important that we understand how people feel in an experience because it impacts how they think and how they behave. When I look back on my admission day experience, the anxiety that I felt, couldn't believe that it had come to that point that that decision had to be made. I felt stressed about the being left waiting and that transactional nature of things. And quite frankly, a lot of that was just because of the overwhelm and quite frankly, the fatigue that I was feeling as a caregiver as well. I had very little bandwidth and I would suspect that quite a few families that are moving their loved one into care, they've already run the gamut of acute care, community care. Uh, they sometimes are kind of feel like they're at the end of their rope as well. And this thing with admission anxiety is that staff also feel admission anxiety. So as I mentioned with this emotion mapping exercise, I also conducted that session with staff. For the time that I worked in seniors care and when I was a family member, it never even occurred to me that staff could feel this admission anxiety. There are three key areas that contribute to the anxiety that staff can feel. The first is relative to the resident. Typically what happens, there's paperwork that's sent over to the home that gives them an overview of the resident's condition, acuity, any other relevant information. And it's not uncommon for that information to be inaccurate or out of date. That paperwork could have been completed six months ago, and a lot may have changed in that six months. So there's some anxiety around what they can expect with the resident, the level of care, what the specific needs are going to be so that they can be well prepared. So that creates one area of anxiety. The second is around the family. They don't know what the family is going to be like. Are they going to be easy to work with? Uh, how much do they understand about seniors' care? Are they going to be difficult? Are they going to have unrealistic expectations? There's this anxiety around how are we going to work with the family and what kind of stressors could there possibly be? The third area is around the admission process itself. And that's really one of the reasons that I work with homes to help them to redesign the admission process because things don't always go as planned. You may have the resident coming by ambulance and the time of 10 o'clock passes and all of a sudden it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and the resident's being brought in and maybe they're in the middle of shift change. Seen circumstances where they bring the resident and family into the room and uh, perhaps the blind has fallen down a few days previously and it hasn't been replaced or the bed's not made or the bed's not there. There's a lot of moving parts. There's hundreds upon hundreds of steps and stages in any admission experience. And so there's opportunities where things could perhaps not quite go right. You have a resident coming in and on the file, it says that uh, the resident has a walker, and then they find out, well, no, actually, the walker belongs to the hospital, so the resident doesn't have a walker now. So these are just some examples where you've got both sides 
that are experiencing this admission anxiety. And so one of the key themes that I focus on is how do we onboard the families right from the start? So in a big part of my teaching, I talk about ways in this family relationship strategy, how you onboard your families right from the start. The better and smoother you can make that interaction and experience you're investing in that relational bank account with the family. And that's the beginning of starting to build that trust, respect, and partnership. I also think of it as building your culture on the way in, one family and resident at a time. And how your presence impacts the culture, energy, and engagement in the home. And that goes for both the staff, how their presence and energy impacts, as well as for families. Because when we think about it in long-term care, the average long-term care home has about half or 50% of their residents who leave every year, primarily through death, sometimes through transfer. So in any given year, you could have half of the population of residents and families being new. And so how we are able to engage and onboard families and help in I'm going to say the training and education, and we're going to talk about that a bit when we move into the gaps. So we're dealing with the reality of having this admission anxiety on both sides. And I want to talk about three gaps that contribute to that anxiety. And when we're able to look through that lens, ways that we can actually minimize or reduce the anxiety felt on both sides. The first gap is the knowledge gap. You've got families that are coming in and they don't know much, if anything, about seniors care. Um, There's still a lot of confusion about retirement homes and long-term care homes providing the same service and support and they're funded the same way, which they're not. And it's no criticism to families. You don't really pay attention to the whole uh, spectrum of seniors care within the healthcare sector if you don't need it. The staff on the other side, they know everything about their home and the business. They know their people, processes, policies, protocols, programs, you name it. They know their home like the back of their hand. So staff have all of this knowledge that families need and families have all the knowledge about their loved one. Right? They know their likes, their dislikes, what they did for a living, what their interests are, all of those things. And they also know their own family and their family dynamics and, shall I say, dysfunction. Because, let's be honest, what family doesn't have at least a little bit of dysfunction? And sometimes, if you've got challenges between siblings or other family members, that can come into the home and, and it can create some anxiety for everybody involved. So you've got the families that know what the staff need and the staff know what the family needs. And this creates this huge knowledge gap. It's not uncommon for staff to really need a good six to eight weeks to really build a good baseline of understanding of their new resident and some of the patterns and nuances that are important to know as somebody who's now a community member. Because here's the thing, 
Families don't know what they don't know, and it's not their fault. I'll be doing an episode all about expectations, but this is a great example of when a family gets caught off guard when they get a phone call from the home to say, just want to let you know that your mom had a fall today. She's fine. She's good. We've taken care of things. And the family says, well, how could that have happened? Because you're supposed to be watching my mom 24-7. She's supposed to have one-on-one care. Families don't know what they don't know, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault that they think that seniors care provides 24-7 one-on-one care. And I've said to families before, would you want to be tethered to another human being for 24 hours a day? It's not feasible. It's not possible. It's not achievable. It's not really desirable. But there needs to be some education around the level of care so that we can better manage those expectations. In my latest book, Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care, there's a chapter that's all about 20 misconceptions that families can have about seniors' care, and that becomes part of that education in closing the knowledge gap. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do in providing staff training, family training, or if you're also looking to redesign your admission process, you can find me at debrabakti.com. And you can email me at debra at debrabakti.com. And all that information will be in the show notes. The second gap I want to talk about is the emotion gap. So I've talked about in the first episode, just the emotions that families can experience and needing to make the decision, the actual moving in, and also to think about the change in their life and lifestyle now that they have their loved one, whether it be a partner or a parent or a sibling living in care. On the other side, you've got the staff where, you know, in a, in a mid to large size home, they are likely doing multiple move-ins, admissions of new residents and their families every week. Going back to episode one, when I was talking about the staff asking about that challenging aspect and not letting the admissions emotions of families take over because sometimes it can feel heavy. This can create that gap because it's difficult to meet the family where they are and provide the support and the guidance that they're needing. So we can have this gap that is experienced by families and something that they're going through an experience of moving a loved one into care, and this may be the first or the only time that they're doing it, and the overwhelm is contributing to that gap. The other thing is, is that families can feel an incredible amount of guilt, particularly if they're the ones that have had to make the decision, and also feel some relief now that they have care and support, but then feel guilty that they feel relieved right? They've got that that whole caregiver persona in and trying to, to give up some of that control of care that they've had, which we'll talk about more in the next gap. But I tend to think of it like this. You're not just meeting the family, you're meeting their grief. And within the emotion gap, is the grief that families can be feeling and not even necessarily recognizing it as grief. 
I've talked to many families, and I think I experienced this myself, that it was like, well, Ty's still here. He's not past. We grieve when people pass. And as the therapist that I was working with at the time helped me to understand that there are many different types of grief. There's anticipatory grief, right, that trying to anticipate as we're going through this journey, what it's going to look like. I often likened Ty's illness as a, a bit like death by a thousand cuts because it was just this continuous downgrading of capacity and ability. And then there's also the disenfranchised grief, you know, grieving for the loss of things like Ty not able to come out Tuesday night to our daughter's soccer games anymore, or grieving the loss of what I imagined our future of growing old together was going to look like. And so it gets very complicated, as well as just the reality of that first day going home and your spouse not being there or going to visit your mom and it's your dad living in long-term care and he's no longer there. So it's important that I think for families to be able to recognize and work through the type of grief and the magnitude of grief that they're dealing with and how it shows up. And sometimes, and I will be the first to put my hand up on this, I had some pretty disproportionate reactions with things that I was perceiving as not going the way that I expected in the home because of my grief and guilt all tied up into one. I think it's also important and helpful for staff if you're able to look through the lens when maybe you're having a bit of a friction-filled family conversation, to what degree is there grief that's contributing to this reaction? It helps just to be able to insert a little bit of empathy and pause into how we may be reacting to that. The third gap is what I call the identity gap. And in the Now What book, I have this relational triangle. And with the identity gap, there's a couple of things at play here. You've got the family member whose identity is changing to that of a community member in the home that their loved one's moving into, a partner in care. And the resident, so I'll use Ty as an example, as my loved one, he's now becoming a resident in a community with other residents, with care team members, this whole ecosystem that I referred to earlier, right? It's like a little town with all of these moving parts that he is now a part of. And you've got the care team that are really working in tandem with the residents' needs as well as working with the family in that partner and care. And I kind of wish that somebody gave me a new job description. And I go back to, I worked in the industry and sometimes I think, wow, I should have known better. But when it's a personal journey, it's sort of like all bets are off and you're just trying to fly by the seat of your pants. I had a responsibility and an accountability in how I showed up in the home as a resident's wife, as Ty's wife. I want to share an email that a family member 
sent to me. I was on a town hall call and she was just so transparent with her experience and journey with moving her mom into care. Her name's Shirley. And um, so I just want to take a moment and, and read what she sent to me. Reading Now What helped me think about and understand the other side of the coin when we are adjusting to having placed a loved one into long-term care. I first read your book a couple of months after mum went into the home. It helped me to better figure out how to deal with things now that mum was not in my care anymore. At first, all I could see when I visited mum was that they weren't caring for her the same way I had been doing at home. Your book brought to light that I was not the only one getting used to this new norm. I hadn't thought about the staff having to get to know mom and figure out how best they could care for her. Once I realized this was the new reality for mom and for me, I began to adjust my thinking and my attitude toward the staff. I knew I had to change my approach when I visited my mom. Now what opened my eyes to that? Mom has now been in care for nine months and my relationship with most staff has improved considerably. The Now What book helped me realize that I was not the only one adjusting to this new norm, but so were they. My mom seems quite happy in her new home and I believe she's given the best possible care the staff can provide given the limitations of the healthcare system. And then she finishes off with my favorite part. Thanks again for writing Now What. It really helped me to get over myself and focus on the positives of what goes on in a long-term care home. It's not perfect, but they do a much better job of looking after my mom than I could ever do now that she's at the stage she's reached into her life, 98 and well into dementia. I just got such a kick out of Shirley because she completely called herself out. You know, like I talk about family flavors in the Now What book, and she says, oh, I was a total jalapeno. I was like getting in the care provider's faces going, why are you doing it that way? My mom doesn't like that way. This is how I would do it at home. And I kind of got the impression that she could see the staff almost trying to hold the rolling back of their eyes. (laughs) And yet... She was able to get to a place of recognizing that just because they don't take care of my mom the same way I did at home, it's okay. It's it's their way of providing care to her. And I think the other thing that we want to keep in mind is that as our loved one continues to live in care, their needs are going to change. And I certainly saw that with my dad, my mom, and my husband. And so how you would have provided care at home isn't necessarily going to be sustainable for what that care is going to be looking like a few months or a few years down the road. And with this identity gap, I think of it as, and I say to families, you're not giving up control of your loved one's care. You're taking on a new role as a partner in care. And that may sound subtle, but it is significant. And going back to that relational triangle, families working with the care team to support the best quality of life and care for the resident is what makes that a solid partnership. So if you're a family member and listening to this podcast, Here's an opportunity to think about what are the gaps that you're experiencing 
We talked about the knowledge gap, the emotion gap, and the identity gap, and you may be feeling a little bit of all three. But let me just, as an example, look through the lens of the knowledge gap and think about what is most important to you? What do you need to know? What's important to you? And I think a great question to also ask yourself is, what is worrying you the most about moving your loved one into care? Because the answer may help you to think about what are the things that I need to have a better understanding of? Because that can give you some clues as to the gaps and what you need to close them. If you're working in seniors care, to think about what gaps are you experiencing? So if I go back to the knowledge gap, what information do you have and what's missing that you can ask of the family or the resident? What would help you to get clarification? If you're thinking of it's a, an emotion gap, when you're able to embrace empathy, as Brene Brown says, to understand what it may be like in their shoes. So some days you may be showing up to meet with a family and you're just in your own state of overwhelm. And to be able to take that beat, take that breath, and reset so that you can be fully present, right? Because the power that we have and how we show up and how we're present and how we're able to be with another person does influence the quality of that relationship. And I think the other opportunity in looking through the lens of the knowledge gap, emotion gap, identity gap, is that it helps to bring pragmatism for those times when, not if, when there are communication breakdowns or misunderstandings or friction in the relationship. And as I say to families, it's not a matter of if something is going to not meet your expectations. It's a matter of when. <laughs> Socks will get lost. Hearing aids may go missing. There are things that can happen when you are in a community setting that when you're able to look through that lens of, is this a knowledge gap, an emotion gap, an identity gap for both sides, for both families as well as for staff, to be able to look at it in a way to say, what do we need to support each other? What do I need in order to be able to close those gaps and to make those requests to be able to ensure that we're, we're able to understand, clarify, and manage or adjust expectations based on those gaps. So I get that feeling anxiety isn't the most pleasant emotion in the world, and we like to do what we can to avoid that. I also think that this shared experience of admission anxiety between families, and I would also say residents and staff, can be one of those opportunities of common ground. And being able to recognize and acknowledge, and also that knitting together of that shared purpose of the best quality of care and life for the resident, the family's loved one is an opportunity to start investing in that relational bank account right at the very beginning. Because both 
sides can experience those knowledge gaps, emotion gaps, identity gaps, and being able to use that as a force for connection can be very powerful. How we show up to support each other and have that empathy exchange, knowledge exchange, and really set the relationship up for a much better chance of success. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Empathy Exchange podcast. And if you're enjoying this, please share with your colleagues and families. Remember, your power is in your presence. So make your presence matter. <laughs>